The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to the dream team of Scentsy Jungle. We are accompanied by the dream team, the force like no other. We've got Anthony Kazenza, AC Slater. We got Matt Minnick. We got John Sheeran. And we got my partner, Ace Boogie from New Stripe City. Without, like, because a lot of people who have seen us in different, and I'm Zen Boudin, and a lot of people have seen us in so many different facets and so many different ways on Scentsy Jungle or, or just Cincinnati Bengals sports stuff. Uh, if I can get you guys just one by one, Ace, you can start us up, then AC, then uh, John, and then Matt. Just tell everybody where can they find you guys before we get into this Dream Team Part 2. Yeah, you can find me at New Stripe City on YouTube. You can also find me on YouTube on the AFC North Talk. Uh, and, of course, you can also find me on the Orange is the New Black podcast on the Cincy Jungle podcast. Uh, I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can find some of my stuff on cincyjungle.com and the YouTube channel is the Orange and Black Insider. Uh, so check that out if you would. And I'm on Twitter at CJAnthonyCUI. Cincyjungle.com for the real stuff at John underscore underscore Sheeran on Twitter for the stupid stuff. <laughs> uh yeah, I got the Chalk Talk on Cincy Jungle podcast and Chalk Talk videos, uh, breakdowns on the OBI uh, YouTube page. And I am Zim, Zim Hude. You can just go to ZimHude.com and find out anywhere that I could be, whether it's social media or anything like that. Throughout the course of this show tonight, I'm going to be talking to Anthony and Ace, and I don't want to ever put these guys in a box, but just know that Matt, I'm going to always call him the coach. So if you're looking for film study stuff, then I'm going to always reference him and just be like, hey, Matt, what are you seeing on this play or whatever? But don't think that that's all he does. John, same thing. He's going to break down analytics. I'm going to be asking him for big number stuff. I'm going to be asking for the stuff that I have no time to do. Anthony is always the even kill person that's always going to keep me grounded because I go on these 
crazy takes where I just think that the whole world is going to either crash or either the Bengals are going to take over it. Ace is the king of YouTube. So if you're looking for YouTube stuff or you got time, like just outside of your normal day, make sure you always, you know, just check out New Stripe City because nobody puts out that much material on YouTube right now, period. Not for Bengals, period. But the first thing I want to do is get into this thing. We had this thing lined up a little bit different than I think what we're probably going to get into. But the Bengals Steelers game is so hot right now that it just would be so silly for us to pass up this opportunity to talk about the game. On top of that, we have the signing of Tack that was recently released from the Falcons. Uh, what was that? Yesterday, right? And so the Bengals claimed him off of waivers. I think the Raiders put in a claim for him as well. Um, just, just share your thoughts with us guys on, on tack. I want to ask Matt, have you seen anything on film? Have you seen anything beyond PFF or anything like that that stands out to you? Honestly, I haven't had a chance to get into it yet. I mean, it, it just kind of broke this afternoon. Um, you know, I, I remember him coming out. I mean, definitely with when you, when you look at what the Bengals have in terms of pass rush right now, uh, you know, John and I broke down the rookies last night. We were talking about it. Like, it's pretty easy to tell where and when Carl Lawson is on the field. Right. It's, it's a completely different thing coming off the ball uh, than than anybody else. You know, even, uh, you know, Khalid Kareem, you know, you definitely see a lot of positives there, but he doesn't have that kind of explosion. So bringing a guy like Tackin, you know, I, I think he's not a super bendy guy, which is put him – in the same category kind of as Kareem. Uh, but, you know, he is an explosive guy. You know, he can come off the ball. He had uh, 13 sacks in his first two seasons in the NFL. Uh, and then, you know, recently not so much over the last couple of years here. So uh, hopefully a little bit of a resurgence. But, I mean, it's a really smart move for the Bengals because he costs next to nothing. Uh, it potentially can help you out even letting him go in terms of um, – compensatory picks and you know maybe you get something you know so so it, it's good that even if they don't even if they don't even care about resigning them that they're trying to do something to address the lack of of pass rush they have is huge because I, I mean honestly looking at this the Steelers game that's one of those things I was thinking of like man we got to get to Ben but I don't, I don't know if they can you know so like throw more guys out there that, that, that that's huge that they're trying to get better they're trying to win right now Good stuff. John, do you have any initial thoughts on the signing? Do you like it, yeah. hate it? it? It would be nice if he was able to play, but I think with COVID restrictions, he's not going to be able to play until yeah, I don't week think he will 11 be against the Washington football team where, I mean, it's not going to be hard to pressure the quarterback in that game. But I, th- I think Matt hit the hit the nail on the head there. Tack coming out of UCLA was explosive and he was fast, but he has no bend to him. It's very similar to Carl Lawson, only in Tack's case, he doesn't have the – the, the repertoire and arsenal of moves that Carl Lawson can use with his power and and the, the, the speed that he has as a rusher. So with, with McKinley, it's a lot more effort and it's a lot more just explosion, converting speed to power and getting pressures like that. But similar to Lawson, it, it's really just more about disruption and not necessarily finishing. He only has, I think, 17 sacks through four years. Most right. of that came in his first two years with the Falcons. And ever since then, it's kind of been on, on, on the fallen, falling on part of it. But I think we just got to look at like how his career with the Falcons ended. He basically tweeted himself out of the organization, saying, citing that he was so bad and lackluster in terms of production 
and the Falcons didn't even want to get rid of him. That, that's like how bad that he wanted to just get it, right. get the hell out of Dodge. And it was a guy that I think a lot of Bengals fans wanted to trade for because, like Matt said, they just had next to nothing to pass for us aside from Carl Lawson. So it adds a dynamic of explosion athleticism that they needed. I'm just not sure how much of an impact he can make in terms of actually finishing some of these sacks and and. and creating negative plays from a pass rushing standpoint, but it, it does build well for them to, to at least try to see what he, what he can do. Maybe he can work out like a, like a one-year deal at, at, during the offseason if he takes these seven games that he has and strings together a few sacks, but it, it's definitely a low-risk, high-reward signing, and a signing that they should have made. For sure. And A.C. Slater, you got any thoughts on Sack? You know, when I think back to when he was a rookie and he was kind of one of those late riser guys, right? I mean, he was a guy that some people talked about, you know, got some talent, got some skills, but maybe a second round guy had some nice workouts. And then as the draft got closer, you heard, you heard, you heard uh, buzz about, you know, rising up boards and all of a sudden he, he's a first round pick. So, you know, uh, I, I'm not I'm not surprised by the signing because there's a need for the Bengals, and this really fits a profile of a guy that the Bengals like to like to draft and or like to bring in in free agency rather, and that it's a former high pick thrown on the scrap heap. They get a deal on him, and they can try and squeeze what they can out of him. And for McKinley's side, he's a guy that maybe gets a fresh start, can prove himself, maybe earns himself another contract with the Bengals or another team uh, just by getting a fresh start on things. So I think in a lot of ways it makes sense. And I think also, um, you know, Carl Lawson needs help. Carl Lawson needs help on that on that line now to generate more pressure. There's going to be a lot of tension on him. You get Sam Hubbard back, whether it's this week or next. You got McKinley coming in. The game, so you've got a nice you've got a nice rotation going. I agree, hundred percent. Ace, you got any closing thoughts on um, on on tax signing? I think it was a great move. I think especially being that we kind of had a situation where. Uh, we we kind of had the situation where um, Carlos Dunlap was uh, essentially traded away from the Bengals. It just left a gaping hole there, right? You're talking about a money blood so there. You're talking about also having uh, some uh, – you just really needed some experience there. So I think the fact that they were able to get Tack, a guy that's 25, just like Carl Lawson, who's 25, with you having so much uncertainty at the edge rush position – with uh, Carl Lawson as well, with him being a free agent, I think that it was a perfect move for them to make. And it just was an area that they needed to address sooner than later. And with Tech, you kind of get a sneak preview of what he's going to be like. Can he fit in your system? Is he going to be worth some type of extension? If he's not, then you just let him go. Like you guys also said, if you want to let him walk and try to get some kind of compensation for him, then you can. Uh, but if not, then it's just... It's, it's not really a losing situation. Um, it's kind of a win-win situation, and you kind of get to see what you have there, and you kind of get to kick the tires on them. So I think that it was a good move by the Bengals, and we'll have to see uh, how it works out moving forward. What do you guys think about this? Uh, a lot of people were saying that they're playing it for the long game and that could potentially get a contemporary pick for it, compensatory pick for him. Do you think there's any validity to that? Anyone can chime in. I, I, I'll say this. I, I, if I were to guess even before this day, I would assume that they're going to let Carl Lawson test free agency. And I think they're already planning on getting a compensatory pick for him. In, in my mind, this almost feels like a guy that they can try out for seven games. And if he does 
pretty moderately well for for them. They can re-sign him and essentially replace Carl Austin with him. I don't think that they're in a position where they can expect anything more than like a seventh or maybe just a sixth round bet story pick from McKinley, even if he does relatively well. I don't think he's going to get that have that much attraction on the free agent market, but they might be already just planning on going forward in 2021 without Carl Lawson. And they're looking at McKinley as a guy from that same draft class, the same age has a similar skill set who can potentially replace him and do the things that they, that they wanted him to do. So that's kind of what I was thinking from that, but, but obviously we don't know their long-term plans for Lawson and obviously with McKinley, but I'm not, I'm not so sure that they're going to get any type of compensatory pick from McKinley. For sure. I mean, one of the comments that I was saying, a lot of, a, a lot of Bengals pessimists, they were saying, that they felt as though, uh, well, we'll wait and see how it turns out and stuff. For me, overall, no matter what happens, I just applaud the effort. And I think from the front office, like, this is something totally different than we're we're not accustomed to seeing by them just stacking up talent. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But just the fact that we're actively going to get in Spain, we're we're trading for Finney, we're making moves like this and putting in a waiver claim for uh, attack – is a big deal to me. And I think it's, a, it's just a time. It's a, it's a sign of the change of the times. And I think that uh, Joe Burrow is, it puts a lot of institutional pressure on the organization to go get those guys. Now, moving forward, coming up on Sunday, we got to talk about the game. We got flexed into this new, to the primetime spot later in the game, a lot friendlier for, for West coast guys like yourself, Anthony, um, I guess I'll start with Ace. What are your initial thoughts coming into this game? I know before we had talked off camera, on camera, about being very fearful of this game. Has anything changed your mind to make you feel like you might be a little bit more confident? What are some big things that you're going to be looking for on Sunday? Yeah, I definitely think things have changed since then. I think at that point, the sky was kind of falling, and it was it was after that, that Ravens game, right? Because to me, the Ravens have never had a great pass rush. That's never been their strength. And the fact that they were able to get as much pressure as they did with that blitz made me worry about the Steelers because the Steelers are the number one pass rush in the NFL. Um, and, you know, at the current time, I think our offensive line was, was definitely shaky. Burrow was getting hit. So – that was a game at first I was not looking forward to. Um, obviously, there's been several changes, and I kind of talked with Matt about this as well, even when it comes to Jim Turner. Uh, whatever he's done, I was definitely criticizing him heavily for sure. But whatever he's done within these past three games, he's really turned it around since that Ravens game. The offensive line has turned it around since then. Joe Burrow has bounced back uh, to being Joe Burrow that he was before the Ravens game. That's really only been the only – uh, for sure, bad game that he's had. Um, and the fact that also the wide receivers right now are starting to kind of develop that chemistry and, and finally starting to get their identity of this uh-huh. offense and are finally starting to flourish exactly how they really should. And so uh, from that standpoint, and then also being on the AFC North talk, having to watch all of these games, which this is the first year that I'm doing it, I've never had to watch all of the divisional games. The Steelers are not really – as good as their record indicates. There's been a lot of games that they've been in, the Philadelphia game, the Ravens game. Um, there's a couple other games that they've been in that they probably should have lost. Um, and so, like, I go right back to that Ravens game, right? Like, even after Lamar Jackson had three turnovers or four turnovers, however many it was, they only lost by four. And they were still in a position at the end of that game to win the game. And I was just looking at it. And when he takes that shot there at the end to try to throw it into the end zone, I'm like, if that's Joe Burrow, 
that's probably like a touchdown. Like that's probably a win. So I think now that I've actually watched Pittsburgh, I've watched our evolution over these last couple of weeks. Like it's eventual. It eventually, like Pittsburgh's not going to get lucky at the end of the game, and they're going to lose one. And I think that now is the best time, especially with Zach Taylor coming off a of bye. When we saw what Zach Taylor did last year coming off a of bye in terms of adjustments, um, so I think the confidence that we saw with the zero sacks against the Titans, the combination of the Steelers kind of getting lucky—they're a talented team. It's not going to be easy. They could end up sacking Joe Burrow 10 times. I'm not going to say that that's not possible, but I definitely have way more faith now that the Bengals can at least split with the Steelers. I don't know if it's this game. I don't know if it's the game later on, but I definitely think that the Bengals can split with them. And I think that the Bengals are in a position now at 2-5-1 and one that they have to go out there and get a win. So I think right now I'm pretty confident in the Bengals being able to go out there and get a W. So are you saying this? Are you going on record? Of guaranteeing a victory? I will guarantee this that is one of the two games that we play the Steelers this season, we will win one. I think that we will split with them because of Joe Burrow. I think the Joe Burrow factor is, is definitely something that changes it. And interacting with Steelers fans and, and people that are knowledgeable with their team, they enjoyed playing against Andy Dalton because they never had fear from him. But they were worried, <laughs> and they have been worried, about Joe Burrow. We also learned that Mike Tomlin is is very happy that Carlos Dunlap is not there. Uh, Matt, let me go to you. What are your initial thoughts going into this game coming up? I mean, yeah, I agree. They're they shouldn't be an eight and zero team, but you're still pretty good when you can figure that stuff out. I mean, and, and really, when we, we talk about the Bengals all the time, we, we're saying, well, yeah, a couple plays, and and they could be a six seven win team right now. Uh, so you, you kind of have to look at the reverse of that too. The fact of the matter is that the Steelers don't let you off the hook and you can't give them opportunities. E even if you get up in this game, if you're in a good position, you can't give them opportunities to come back. That's what happened to the Dallas Cowboys. You know, they, they weren't, they were scoring field goals, not touchdowns. They had that awesome punt return, uh, with the throwback. And then uh, they followed that up. You know, they, they got the ball after the penalty of like the 31-yard line. And then they went three and out after running the ball on second down. Uh, like, they, they, they blew it. They threw a touchdown in the red zone. They were 0, in, uh, 0 for 2 in the red zone. Like, you just – you can't give a team like, like Pittsburgh the opportunities. And that's one thing that, like, they've always been good at, at being really opp opportunistic. Um, I mean, as long as I can remember, Pittsburgh's been good at doing that. And, um, you know, Mike Tomlin's a guy who takes some heat sometimes because he does some, some you know, shaky things in terms of game management. But, like, his team is always on with those things. Like, they don't let you off the hook. And, um, I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. Like, you can't give them an inch uh, because they will come screaming back really quickly. Right, I totally agree for you, and I think Mike Tomlin is is, is a big part of that because he's a master motivator, and I think he just gets them ready to play. AC Slater, what do you think? Are you scared of him? What are you thinking coming into this game? I'm kind of in in line with Ace here in terms of you know a couple of weeks ago you asked me what what I felt about this game, and I'd be saying, oh boy, oh boy, you know, I, I just I had a bad feeling about it, but now the Bengals are coming off a big win. They've got to buy. They have a couple of additions to their roster. One may not play this week, That even though we're excited about it. He may or may not play this week. But 
you know, I mean, there, there are a lot of things kind of some positive momentum going into this one. Now that I don't know if that'll translate to a win, but as I've said, and unfortunately, I guess we're, we're all still kind of in roster evaluation mode. Where's this team at? What do they still need to do in terms of next year and for the next couple of years to potentially prop open that championship window? I, I do view these games, this the Ravens, the remaining Ravens game and these two Steelers games as barometers to see where the Bengals are at at this point, how competitive they are, how Joe Burrow will will fare against a, a pretty vicious Steelers defense. But there are I mean, this is the Steelers are an imperfect team. You guys you guys said it. They're an imperfect team with a perfect record. They've got vulnerabilities. The Bengals can exploit it. They can put up points. I think if the Bengals end up making this a pretty close game, which I think it could be and, and will be. Um, you know, I, I think, I think you can feel pretty good about that and maybe ride some of that late season momentum into the second game. So, you know, I, I'm not overly shaking in my boots like I was a couple of weeks ago, but, uh, I mean, it's still the Steelers. They'll come ready to play. They'll be prepared and they'll play nasty because that's what they do. I agree. Um, you, you spoke about some of the stuff where they have vulnerabilities. Tyler Boyd made headlines this, uh, I think that was yesterday where he said that the Steelers do have a strong front seven. But he said they don't have the best secondary. I don't know if he was giving them bulletin board material or what, but that's something to think about coming into the game. John, how do you feel about that? And also, John, I'm going to catch you off guard. (laughs) Over over or under five sacks on Joe Burrow? Over. I think. Um, Like, all right, all right. On that that topic. I don't, I don't want to take you off topic, but I just had to throw I had to throw a little monkey wrench at you. That, that's a good way. That's a good place to start, though, because the Bengals' best offensive linemen, like if you want to call them Jonah Williams and Trey Hopkins, they're good. But I mean, Williams is a rookie, and Hopkins is probably just a league average center. When they face top tier competition, they've had struggles this year, and they're facing none other than top tier competition in this game. So it's definitely an obvious mismatch with the Bengals offensive line, regardless of the perceived growth that they made against the Titans a couple weeks ago. The Titans have an abysmal pass rush. That was a great matchup for them to look great, even when uh, there's just a bunch of jumbled pieces matched up together. They, they're hopefully going to have some more cohesive pieces back, back in there with guys coming back from injury, but it's still a definite mismatch. And the Steelers are one of the blitz heaviest defenses in the entire league, and they have the best defense in the entire league. I, and, we, and we talked about it last week. Like the Steelers may not just are probably like the not, not not the worst undefeated team in recent memory, but they might not be as good as the record indicates. That's I think that's because this, their offense is about league average. I think they're fifteenth in offensive DVOA and just relatively average in terms of just overall offensive efficiency because Ben is just getting the ball out of his hands extremely quickly. I think his average time to release is under two point three seconds, which is like prime Andy Dalton when his offense line was bad. So it's a lot of it's a lot of short passes, um, short of the sticks and. There's guys like Claypool and Juju Smith-Schuster who are just trying to take, trying to make the most of that. But it, it's it, it's 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 still a team that can definitely just suffocate you and suffocate a Bengals offense that is still very much inconsistent, very dependent upon who they play. So, r- regardless of the momentum that the Bengals have been building, and regardless of whether the Steelers are are strong as the record indicates, it's still an obvious you know mismatch from the most important position groups. I think Joe Burrow is going to play better in this game than he did against the Ravens a couple weeks ago because he has more time and experience and film to watch to improve upon some of the similar things that he's going to face. But it's still a dominating defense in Pittsburgh, at Pittsburgh, in that hostile environment. And, you know, I, I'm not I'm not the most confident in this game. I, I think they can make it competitive, but I think the Steelers are still just clearly the better team and it's probably not going to be a win for them. 
I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm almost 100% with you. I'm not confident at all in the game. I do see a path, like we said in part one of the Dream Team show that we had last week, is that if you can get Joe Burrow close enough, and I've got the ball at the end of that game, I like my chances. Will they have that opportunity? It's very, very slim. And, I, and I'm a piggy bank right off of that, John. What you just said, I guess, is like – if you are the coach, if you are Zach Taylor, based off of what you just told me and the doubt and the different things that we know that we're already up against coming up, right, what is your game plan? What are some things that we could do to to take away that, that heavy blitz, uh, take away some of the different things that they do very well? How can you Belichick us to a victory? Like, I, I think if they could have some semblance of a good running game, I think that would definitely be a start. And that's something that the Steelers have complained about in recent weeks is that their running defense has not been very good. Tony Pollard kind of ran all over all over them when he got touches against the Cowboys. And I think Giovanni Bernard is, is having a, a good stretch here without Joe Mixon in the lineup so they can have some success on the run to kind of slow down some of that pass rush, but also just getting, getting the ball quicker, you know, get, getting these opportunities for Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins to get some run-after-catch opportunities on some of these short passes. Like there's, they definitely need to attack the ball down the field because I think Boy has a point where the Steelers secondary is not very strong and there's definitely some weaknesses where they can catch him over the top. But those plays have to develop with quality protection, and you're just not going to get that for most of this game. Steelers are going to throw everything they have at Burrow. They're not going to want him to run to you know throw all over them in his first game behind field. They're going to try to make a statement. I don't know if they're going to go as far as try to go for his knees or something like that, but I mean they're they're, they're going to try to rough him up and. I think if they come out with the same game plan that they did against the Ravens, it's going to lead to similar results. So I think there's definitely going to be some growth there. And, you know, like this defense is tough and it's just hard to scheme against. It's it's hard to scheme around it when the talent disparity is that big. Right. Um, and Ace, I saw you kind of shaking your head on some of this stuff, I guess, out of, out of everything. If you're listening to this, guys, um, uh, guys or girls live right now, we're here. Cincy Jungle, super team. We got Matt Minnick. We got John Sheeran, and we got my partner, Ace. Uh, before we go a little bit further, and I'm going to ask you uh, the question I was about to ask you, Ace. I just want to say I saw a lot of comments, people saying that YouTube is down right now. So we appreciate you guys being patient with us. Make sure you go to Cincy Jungle on Facebook, where the stream is still active, I believe. I just was checking it out myself. Uh, if you got any other tips, people tell us in the comments. But appreciate you sticking with us. Make sure you follow us, uh, as always. Uh, Anthony had a big interview. So if you're watching this live too, you notice that Anthony has rolled out. But Anthony had a very, very big interview. So he's going to go take care of business with that. So make sure you follow Anthony Kazenza on Twitter as well. Uh, Ace, going back to what you were agreeing with or not agreeing with, John, uh, tell me your thought on, like, what do you think that you can kind of capitalize on with the Steelers? No, I was agreeing with John. Like, what he was saying is true. Like, the Steelers – the Steelers' pass rush, I mean, it's predicated upon the blitz, right? We saw that's what the Ravens did, and I think uh, some people kind of overlooked it as well because the, the coach don't really blitz that much. But if you realize when the game was on the line and at the end of that game, they started sending the blitz. And so uh, I have to agree with him on that. That's like a nightmare thing there. The good thing is that Joe Burrow was able to see it in that Ravens game, and he kind of has made some adjustments to it. Uh, but – if they are able to wreck that game, that's definitely going to be an issue. But I will say this. They are a strong pass rush. They're not typically that strong of a defense, especially in the secondary outside of Minka Fitzpatrick. Um, going into the season on the AFC North Talk, 
we all voted them as the number one or near the number one secondary after the Ravens um, this season going in on that panel. They have not lived up to that. They they definitely have some holes in that secondary that you can affect them on. In terms of the linebackers, they're still pretty solid there, but they are starting to uh, – teams are going to start figuring out that Devin Bush isn't there anymore. And the guy that they have there, he's played solid, and he's played – he's done well, but he's still not Devin Bush. And so they do have some chinks in that armor, um, and they're just a real inconsistent team. They play really good at points. Like one one part of their team that I'm also worried about that I don't think people talk about is how good their wide receiver core is. They have a very deep wide receiver core. When you talk about Juju Schuster, you talk about Deontay Johnson, who at sometimes looks like he's A.B. You talk about Claypool, who can just wreck a game, had a game where he had, what, three touchdowns in it. Um, you also talk about you forget that James Washington is there and then he hits you from somewhere else. And then you also have a kid by the name of Ray Ray McLeod that not too many people know about. But he's also a problem. And then you talk about Eric Ebron. A lot of people have forgotten about Eric Ebron, but he's been pretty solid for the Steelers as well. Um, now that Vance McDonald is kind of taking a back seat. So, and the other thing is Ben is playing at somewhat, I'm not going to say an elite level, but he's not turning the ball over. So in years past where he's turned the ball over a lot and he's always giving you those opportunities, he's not really doing that this season. Right. The other thing is you talk about their run game as well. James Conner is looking like a shell of himself. He's not really where he's been in years past. But the guy that kind of scares me the most is actually Anthony McFarlane. He's like a – you probably know him, Zim, because he's from the Maryland area. Uh, but he's been yeah. very solid for him. He's kind of like their geo in a sense if I were to make a comparison. And so that's what I'm worried about when it comes to them. I'm definitely worried about that D-line, definitely worried about that offense and those receivers, especially with – I don't know if Darius Phillips is playing in this game or, or what's going to happen. But I'm definitely worried about – Claypool and and how we're gonna stop these guys on offense as well. You mentioned Vance McDonald. I think he's still in COVID protocol. That was the main guy. I thought yeah, that but he's meant. he's almost kind of like. And I was talking to, with Tony about this earlier. He's kind of like it's almost kind of like Tyler Eifert, right? Last year when we had him, shows flashes of Tyler Eifert, but he's not that. He's not that 2015 Tyler Eifert, and that's what he kind of said is like the story with Vance McDonald. He's just. He just doesn't have it all there. And so now it's more so kind of like Eric Ebron. Right. I got you. And Matt, coach, what's the game plan, coach? If we're going into this thing, I talked to another coach, Hugh Jackson, the other day. He said the only message I would tell them, I asked him, I asked him straight up. I said, "How? what would you tell him? He, he said, I would tell him you're about to play the game of your life. And he said, I'm not even going to expand on that. So I'm asking you, coach. What would you do coming into the game of your life Sunday? Well, I, I don't know what I can tell you that Hugh Jackson would, uh, couldn't come up with, but uh, <laughs> um, shout yeah, out! I mean, look, they've got a they've got a lot of good pass rushers. Um, Watt is the guy, uh, but obviously, you know, Tua can get it done. Bud Dupree can get it done, um, and you know, really, like as I look at that. Watch the guy I'm really worried about. Like the rest of it is like, I mean, they're good, but you can't worry about everything. So if Watt is on the edge, I'm chipping him every single flipping time. Like, I don't care. It, it, it's sample. It's the running back. I don't care. I'm getting a little bit of help on him. I'm making plans. I'm trying to get rid of the ball as quickly as I can. When Watt is not on the field, uh, he took about 88% of snaps. I was actually surprised by that. I think that uh, he's taken 88% of the defensive snaps this year. I have a feeling that might be down to recent games because I only watched like the last 
think four games, and it seemed like he was off the field. Maybe because I was looking for him. Maybe it's you know a mental thing, but it seemed like he was off, he was off the field more than I would want him off the field. Um, so I mean, if if he's not on the field, and or or they did something it probably won't do to us, like where they put him in the middle, like to you know to for run fits basically. Um, if he's not in position to rush the edge, check to a damn pass, like every time, <laughs> like like so. I think the game plan is being very multiple and putting things on your quarterback and letting him look for these guys and, and try and make plays. Um, they have given some things up in the run game. We know the Bengals haven't been very good in the run game. We also know that all of a sudden they figured it out uh, after the bye week last year in terms of running the football. Um, I am really concerned about Hayward, though, in the run game. Because, I mean, it kind of reminds me of Geno last year. Like, people tell me Geno had a bad year last year. Geno didn't get sacks last year. Geno was destroying the run game last year, and he was the only guy in the defense that was doing it. And that's what Hayward reminds me of sometimes on film, where it's like they got to play pretty much blocked up, and he just tosses his dude and makes a play in the backfield. So, uh, I mean, that's the the number one guy you have to account for when you're running the ball, and the number one guy you have to account for when you're passing the ball is, is what? You know, so you, you've got to have those plans. You got to adjust to that. You can't. You got to win against Bud Dupree. Sorry, you know, and and two, it's going to be a tough one too. I'm actually a little yeah. bit more afraid of two at the name of, of Bud Dupree. Um, yeah. Honestly, like I was just looking at his contract situation. Unfortunately, he's got an end of the year left because that that's the guy I think the Bengals need uh, is is you know that type of dude who can kind of come inside, come outside. Um, but uh, but that ain't gonna happen. But yeah, I mean, like that's what you gotta do. You gotta you gotta figure out what you gotta you gotta hit him from every angle. Um, when you're attacking these guys, whether it's in the run game or not, like you know, throwing different stuff at them, getting him from different angles uh, is a huge aspect. And what cannot be ignored in the run game either, because I've seen a ton of times on film where they don't block the him on the backside edge and he runs it down for a loss like every time. Like, like the dude is alive. Like he's 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 going after you. You got to get a body on that guy. Man, you giving a lot of people. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we could talk. You could literally talk an hour about their front seven because it's everything yeah. that every team would as, uh, aspire to be. Um, just kind of uh, talking a little bit of insight. I had a good talk with a, a member of Bobby Hart's camp today. He did say that he's very very hopeful that he could play. He's not guaranteeing me that, but he said he's very hopeful. I, which kind of leads me into my next question. You talked about like chipping, you know, on on TJ Watt. Uh, you know, we're the offensive line. It, it's just no way to walk away from. We could talk about all the greatness of Joe Burrow and everything like that. I think I've done that for the whole entire season. If we're coming into this game, Ace. What's the lineup, given what we know? Jonah was practice limited today. I, I have a, I thought that I thought that he might play, mm-hmm. but but say he doesn't play. What's the lineup? I've thrown this out to a bunch of people. Like, what's the what's the five that you go with? Like, is Mike Jordan at tackle? Like, who who like what do you do in this situation? I think uh not not to switch things or anything, but I, well, one thing that I'm also worried about in this game is that that front seven is also very good against the run. When you when you talk about the Steelers as well, when it comes to that, it's it's just going to be honestly. It doesn't matter if we had our full starters there or we have the guys that went in against them in in the Titans game. It's going to be a tall order for anyone. But if it were me, 
I'd probably go with um, I'd probably go with Adenji at the left tackle position. I'd go with Spain at the left guard. I would. This one is tough because it's between Trey, Trey is back. Trey and Billy Price. And I'm going to say back. I'm going to go with Trey. I'm going to go with Trey at center. Uh, at right guard, I'm going to go with Xavier was clear for practice, but I'm not sure. If nah, he's I wouldn't can't. put Xavier in right now. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm putting Fred Johnson at right tackle. Uh, right guard, I might go with Damn, between Redmond and Price. Fred's still on Red, the COVID list right now. Redmond, is, don't know about Redmond, has, Redmond has been playing good enough. I'm going to go with Redmond. Redmond. I mean, the hardest one for me, I think, was, was Billy Price at center. I think that I would go between him or Trey Hopkins. I'm just going to go with Hopkins for now. Uh, but at right guard, I, I – it's crazy that I'm saying this. I'm going to go with Alex Redmond at right guard. I think that he's he's kind of proven me wrong and made me eat some crow with him at that right guard spot. If you're in the comments, feel free to chime in, people, because I see uh, James Holly. Shout out to him. Shout out to John Lynn's been really active. Ty Gaskins, appreciate you all coming. But in the comments, please th- uh, go, throw out your throw out your five because I'm about to hit up John and I'm going to ask him what is his five because because he, he looks like out of everybody that we've had on the panel tonight. Out of everyone, he's like out of he doesn't even have words for the front seven of the uh, Steelers. So I don't know what you think we could come out there with. I mean, I'm getting flamed in the comments because people are like, Oh, John's always pessimistic. Dude, I mean, listen to the names <laughs> no, you he's, off. He's realistic. John is like, realistic. Like when he talked really? about the Steelers line and stuff like that, that's being realistic. This is the number one. <laughs> well, that's not <laughs> nobody watch this Ravens game. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> And the Ravens aren't even nowhere in the league of of uh, edge rushing when it comes to the Steelers. Like they're not even good at that, and they did amazing in that game just by blitzing. So, John, when you have a skull in the background, it's going to kind of put a little bit of doubt. John is just being a but but honestly, I feel the same way. I think a lot of people are so used to me being so hype about different things, and I've been selling everybody on. I don't even have to sell you on it. I, I feel like. This season is all about building blocks for the upcoming season. So I didn't jump out there and say that I think this is a good matchup or anything like that. So if anybody's thinking that John is is being super sour or whatever right now, I am not, I'm not one of the guys that's thinking that we're going to go out there and kick some ass just because we knocked out the Titans. One thing I'll say is this, though, before John goes. You have to remember that the Titans – pass rush was non-existent they sucked at the pass rush and it really reminded me of that jaguars game remember how we thought that oh the line is okay like they didn't they didn't really get a sack or anything like that and then the ravens game happened so this could be a similar kind of thing that's happening right now where that gave us some false confidence because the titans have one of the worst pass rushes in the league and now we're going against the number one but go ahead john i think i think jonah will be back so i'm gonna i'm just gonna optimistically placed him at left tackle left tackle he was limited today he's had a couple weeks to heal that stinger i'm gonna assume he's back i think um me me matt talked about this uh yesterday on our mid-season rookie report go check that out if you haven't i I think the players want quinn spain out there i think they saw how he just came in there after a a day in cincinnati and just kind of just played his heart out and just just kind of went with it without having practice with the team i think 
It, Mike it, Daniels it, was all over him. Yeah, like, exactly. If you, guys, if you guys hadn't checked it out, John and OBI interviewed Mike Daniels the other day. I mean, he on Twitter, he was raving about uh, Spain uh, today and the other day. Too. Right. I, I think I think Spain, I, I, I'm not guaranteeing it, but I, my gut is telling me he's at left guard. I think that would be probably be the better decision. I think Trey Hopkins is back at center. He's practicing full. I think they just want to keep him there. Right guard, uh, I think they cle- yeah they cleared Xavier Suofilo. I think they, they might put him out there for this one reason, because I, I think if you have identity at right tackle, because Fred Johnson is, is still positive for COVID and Bobby Hart may not play, Alex Redmond might become the emergency tackle. And I don't know if they want to start him at right guard if they have Xavier Suofilo back at right guard. So I'm, I'm assuming that Bobby Hart is not playing since he didn't practice on Wednesday. And I think they're going to have identity at right tackle. So it, it's a it's a toss up between Redmond and Suafilo. I would probably rather have Suafilo out there, even though he you know you know he hasn't played in a, in a while. But I think they would they're gonna ha- want to have Alex Redmond be the emergency tackle because they don't have a backup tackle on this roster. And I think they just kind of put Suafilo back in there. Well, they did just sign O'Shea Douglas to the practice squad. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, line him uh, up on what? <laughs> Go I, ahead, Matt. I'm, I'm glad I went last year because because. You know, John talking through it made me think about a few things here. So this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to go on the same assumptions that John's making. I'm going to say Jonah at left tackle. I'm going to say Hakeem at right tackle. I'm going to say Trey at center. What really helped out Hakeem last week? When they moved Spain in. Spain. So I'm putting Spain at right guard. And they like oh. they like Jordan. We knew they didn't want to f with him too much. We were all worried about how they didn't want to f with him. So I'm saying Jordan is back in at left guard. Spain starts at, at right guard to be that security blanket, that guy that that Hakeem is comfortable with next to him. I like that a lot. You talk I about do. musical chairs. I, I'm I'm gonna just I'm gonna just co- I don't even <laughs> at this point. I'm so fearful. I, I don't even. I'm at the point where I don't even think it really matters. They really just got to come out there, just busting ass, honestly, mm. like 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 how they did last week, and just go with who's ready to go. And the guys that aren't showing what they want, they might get pulled early, <laughs> like uh, uh, what's his name did last week or whatever. That that could be a situation, but this is serious stuff, people. And there's a lot of people in here because people comment a lot to me and tell me that they are very hopeful of the playoffs or anything like that. I will tell you this. If you think that you have any bit of outside chance in an eight-man seed or any, like, a a 16-man tournament and all these other things like that, this is your last hope. You got to take care of business on Sunday, and that this is the season. If if you're still in that that ballpark. I'll tell you what, though, Zim. Like, you look at the way the rest of the schedule lines up. If they can pull off this game – Oh yeah, I'm, they I'm, really should win the next two games, the and then all of a sudden you're coming in on a on a four game winning streak to Miami. Like that's gonna be that's a quality opponent. That's a, that's gonna be a tough game. But if if you're riding that high into that game, and then you still got the Cowboys and the uh, and the and the Texans right uh, before the next time you see the Steelers. So I mean, like they they could, they could go on a run if they can get this one. They could definitely go on a run. Do you think eight seven and one gets you into the playoffs at the number seven seed? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's so hard to predict because we've never seen a seven seed before. Seed before. Right. It, you know what? It, it's it kind of seems like in the league right now, though. Um, you know how when everybody does their like game by game predictions and they post them, and like everybody's got like 
the top two teams are like 12 win teams. And then like the, the teams they don't like are like one or two wins. You know, like it's like nobody, nobody thinks about that. You're going to have some random chance and there's going to be more teams in the middle. Like they're all really good or all really bad. I kind of feel like that's how the league is right now. Like, right. like there's a lot of, a lot of teams that are two, three losses, you know, right. maybe like in that range. And then there's a bunch of teams that are really bad uh, and, and are, you know, zero one, you know, kind of range. And I mean, right. even right, right now you look at the Bengals with, with two and a tie, they're not that far down the pecking order. Uh, they, they showed them as in the hunt for the playoffs on, on ESPN the other day. You, you, um, yeah. It, I, I posted it on my story today. And people yeah. Like, so you, okay. you're, you're dreaming. <laughs> but, but the reason I think, I think we might have a different look at it is because everyone here on this panel and probably most of the people that are here in the comments have seen all of our games mm-hmm. and they don't look like, you know, like I, I watched the Patriots get the the doors blown off of them. Like, with the exception of the Ravens game, I mean, don't you feel like, you know, like the you know, like the whole saying is, you are what your record is or anything. I don't feel like that is who they are right now. I really don't. I mean, on one end, but then the other end is like, yeah, these are the growing pains, and this is what you deserve based off of what you did. You couldn't hold the lead, different things like that. But just. Seeing how they lost, I think, might change like how we view them. Except John, who just is just all the way like <laughs> seven. John is like, no, nah, honestly, they could have just won one game. They're lucky to get two. Right? It's like, no, nah, I'm just messing with them. But uh, I, mean, I mean, you know, when you look at the repetition of it and how they've done historically in in one loss games, it's, it's certainly it doesn't look good. You know, it's certainly not a good sign. But I think at the same time, like you can call it regression to the mean, if you will. But I think at a certain point, you just have to learn how to win those close games. Facts. And sometimes things just suddenly click for teams. Um, and as much as you want to, like, I, I, I don't know, like, like it's sometimes it, like the, the the corny movie moments, like that that you think never happened in real life, kind of happen. And, and it's just like something a, a, a switch goes off. You know, left side, strong side. And now we're not going to lose another game. Um, so sometimes those things can happen. You know, and and I mean, honestly, this could be a, a, a situation. I don't think the Titans are in that situation. They needed to get a win before the bye week to have a chance to do anything. I think in the second half uh, of substance. But yeah, I mean, if if they could, if they can get this win, if they can knock off the, this this you know team, an eight and zero team, regardless of whether they should be or not. You know, national television, the the Steelers, who we all have a mental block on, if they can do all that thing, like all of a sudden you're getting like great buy-in, you know, and, and everybody's everybody's on board with anything the coach is saying, and 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 you're you could be rolling a little bit then. So sometimes that that, that stuff happens, and, and all of a sudden it, things aren't a problem anymore. Um, but right. you, know, you don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Let me let me ask you this, Ace. Do you feel like because uh, Matt's talking about like them getting on a roll, right? Just go back to how we felt uh, or how you felt <laughs> coming out of the Titans game, right? Right. Do you think it was a good thing uh, that we went into a bye week and maybe got some of these guys ready, or do you think that they could have rolled off of that momentum, or you, or are you at the point where you just don't even think it matters if they come in there head head down and just go to work um on Sunday and then get a win you know it is what it is like do you think the bye kind of hurt them 
No, I actually think that the bye came at the right time, especially with all of those offensive line starters getting hurt at that moment. I think that that was the perfect time. I think it was the best time to get Joe Mixon back healthy. Uh, and just all the injuries that we've dealt with, I think that it was just a good time for them to end it on a positive note to get that win against the Titans. And then the other thing that's also hovering in the background is there was the Carlos Dunlap kind of breakup and stuff that happened too, and you're kind of coming fresh off of that. So I think it was the right time to to have that, but it was also important for this coaching staff, and that's what gives me some confidence moving forward because this last eight stretch of games, this is literally Zach Taylor's like career right here, right? Like if the Bengals don't win in this stretch or they don't have, let's say they don't go win six of eight, right? If Zach Taylor wins potentially two or three games total for this season, there's going to be a lot of talk about is he the guy going forward. But if they can win six out of these last eight, you got to keep Zach Taylor after that. There's no way that you can get rid of him, um, you know, with a record like that. Uh, but if he doesn't string together wins, then that's going to be an issue. And I have to say myself, you know, I've been you already know Zim. I've been super critical of Zach Taylor. That has definitely quieted down the last four weeks. Like his play calling has improved. I've liked some of the things that he's done. He's starting to win, I think, not only the fans over, but also this front office. But at the end of the day, he's got to get W's. So this stretch is is definitely important for him. I think, it, it, yeah, everybody feels good right now. They get their ass kicked on Sunday. I think the, <laughs> I, I think the seat's just as high. Uh, like, which leads me it's a very hot and cold fan base. Like we, we we have we have real emotional highs. Hell, before the, before the sure. Titans game, Jesus Christ, they were about ready to pack his backs. Oh right, yeah, right. Oh yeah. I mean, it, to me, Xavier Sulafilo was one of the good signings in the offseason. If you throw him into the game, let him get a penalty, let him fall, let let TJ get, let somebody get a sack on him forever in this fan base. That's why I rely on guys like Matt and John to like kind of give me like some critical like game film, like some numbers or something, because the fan base will gear in on one person and literally say, like, that's the guy that we want. And I think it's it's warranted with Zach Taylor, and it's also warranted, um, you know, with several people on the staff, because even if they were to pull off this crazy victory on Sunday, even if they did have a pretty good rest of this back half of the season – the consistency that you saw from a regime like Marvin Lewis and stuff is just not there like in year two, like right now, on so many different fronts. Because why would it take them so long to have a Titans game like that? Like, I don't think that narrative changes to me. Uh, I guess moving into – that kind of moves into my next segment. And Ace, I'll let you comment on that. But the next segment is we got to put on our GM hats because I think collectively – I don't know. Do y'all want to talk about, like, predictions on score? <laughs> I don't. I, I, I am not there. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so we're so we're filming this on Wednesday. So games on Sunday. I'll give guys some time to get there, look at some more stuff. Ace, you had a comment. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was the one thing that I will say when we're comparing Zach Taylor to Marvin. Marvin was like super stubborn. So, like, if there were things that he had, you know, issues with. He wasn't really open to kind of self-evaluating himself. He would always make comments like, you know, we know what we're doing here, this and that. Like one thing that I will say about Zach is if there's a weakness or something like that, that's an issue. He will actually try to like approach it and fix it. Like even with Lou, like I think there was one point in that game in the Titans game 
where we were just expecting the Lou Anarumu defense to like collapse. And I like remembered the camera panning over to the sideline and seeing Zach Taylor, who has never, I personally have never seen him talk to the defense outside of last year when the linebackers were messing up. He went over to like Lou and like said something to make sure that they were on the same page. So that's the one thing I will say that gives me some confidence in Zach Taylor is if there is a weakness or there is a struggle, he actually makes like a collective effort to try to fix it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and and I wasn't saying that from a standpoint of I think Marvin Lewis, what it was the right decision. Let's let's make that yeah, clear. Definitely. Like it was the right For decision sure. to move on from Marvin Lewis. But some of the things like week to week basis, I think we're still struggling with uh, primarily the offensive line early in the year. And those are their, their those are their guys. Right. I, I just want to add to that, too. So the big difference between Marvin Lewis and Zach Taylor like at the beginning of Marvin Lewis's career is Marvin Lewis was Marvin Lewis was Eric B Like he was the overqualified candidate that should have been a head coach before. Like that was, that was, that was an all-star candidate. You know, he had that, that great Ravens defense. He couldn't get a head coaching job. He left. He went to ball. He went to uh, Washington for a year. Like he knew how to be a head coach pretty well. And he worked for for some good guys. He had already established. He already knew really how to be a, a good defensive coordinator. He was a highly qualified pick. Zach Taylor is not a highly qualified pick. Right. What did you do? And and honestly, like a lot of a lot of people like to really like the Zach Taylor hire. I want to be enemy, but I got on board. I got on board with the Taylor hire, uh, and I and I see where he's going with some things now. But look, right. when you hired Zach Taylor, you hired his potential. And you hired you hired him to buy the offense. Like that's really what you did. And when you look at it, I think the play calling is pretty good for the most part. I think he's he's a pretty good offensive coordinator. I would like to see some different things in the red zone. I think they're they're growing that part of their game. I'd like to see that you know them be a little bit more creative with getting guys open in the red zone over the course of things. But they're definitely improving in that area. But he also wasn't a play caller before, you know. So he's still going to have growing pains. In that area, I think most of the play calls that people point at when they say they shouldn't have done that, I mean, it's more of situational football, which is more of a head coach's job. So, and and this is, by the way, Cincinnati is the only place where you can really do this too, because they're going to give him some time to grow into the position. Um, So, Look, look, it's not the way everybody else does it. I get it. Uh, but I think I think things are coming along a little bit. I think you see the improvement. And you do see him changing, absolutely. You see that he, he's flexible to do that. He realizes he's young and he, and he is learning. We all want to see all these things happen faster. But I do see where it's improving. Now, what is the second half of the season? Ace, you, you had a great a great number you threw out. If they go six and eight, all right, that means the Steelers, they probably beat the Steelers at least once, right? Of the two losses, they probably beat the Steelers at least once. And there's the Ravens and, and the Dolphins. You know, so you've got to get two wins between those three teams uh, to, to go six and eight. Now you got a couple of quality wins. You know, it, it, it's it's not good enough to, to come out as a six-win team having you know gone through this the last part of the year just beating the Texans in the NFC East. You know, you got it you've got to knock off at least one of these teams in the division. And if you can get a win against the Steelers and the Ravens, like 
now you're showing something. I'm all you know, in. And, and, and not a fluke thing, not because Mason Rudolph's in the game. You know, like a real solid, that was a good damn win. I mean, if you can do those things and, and go 6-8, and eight, I think you're feeling pretty good moving forward about how things are going into next year. Right. Um, John, uh, do you have any thoughts, I guess, um, I guess just piggyback, piggybacking off of what Matt is saying, like, how, I guess – what are your overall thoughts on, on Zach now? Like, do you think he can succeed? Or is it going to take those wins that Matt is talking about to convince you? I just need to, I just need to look up something real quick. Sean McVay's coaching career. Because I, I remember when he was – okay, he was an offense coordinator in Washington, but I, I forgot that's my detail. Yeah, like, under Gruden, I think. I think it was right. under Gruden. Yep. So it wasn't exactly like that. But like like Matt said, it was, it was not an unprecedented – a jump, but it was it was unusual for a guy like Zach Taylor who only spent like a handful of games actually calling plays at the NFL level, and then being an assistant wide receivers coach, then a quarterbacks coach, just all the way up to a head coaching job. But we've seen in recent years, like guys they, they get promoted to offensive coordinator after being like a quarterbacks coach, and then they immediately make the jump to head coach if they have one or two good seasons as a play caller. The Bengals has basically skipped p- point B and went right to point C. Like they they skipped that part where. You know, Zach Taylor could have been become an offensive coordinator during the 2019 offseason, but they just made him the head coach because guys get promoted so quickly. They rise to the ranks so quickly at that assistant coaching spot that they just mm-hmm. basically said, you know, we're going to hire this offensive coordinator to be our head coach. And he, and he has been the play caller. And I think there has been actual tangible growth in that sector. It's just it's just like Matt said, though, when you be, when you put on that headset and you and you are at the helm of, the, of this entire team, all of that responsibility of finishing these close games and making these crucial decisions that falls on you. So he right now is a pretty decent offensive coordinator, but he's still growing into the actual important decision making processes of being a head coach. And he's just not quite there yet. And if he didn't have Joe Burrow this season, he probably doesn't have two wins. Like that, that's just how important the quarterback position has been. And that's why it was so bad last year when you had a terrible one in Andy Dalton or a guy playing as bad as Andy Dalton did. And right now, like I, I think regardless of how the season finishes record-wise, I think he gets another shot. But if, if you know they're, they're, if there are more collapses and there are more defensive struggles, it, it's kind of like Luana Rumo's probably going to be the one that, that gets canned and then Zach Taylor gets maybe one more year to prove himself. Because, I mean, Anna Rumo is kind of, it's almost like the same thing. Anna Rumo is a good assistant coach, but he just happens to be calling the plays for defense. He just might not be at that point yet, and he needs all the help on the field that he can get. Because now for two years in a row, he's, has, he's had injury issues that, you know, he's had to struggle filling in those personnel gaps, and and it's just been a struggle for him. So it, it's, it, it's, it's very similar for both of them in terms of them just being – potentially quality assistant coaches, but just having a lot of responsibility and they're, and they're still trying to manage that with Taylor. At least he's like 15 or 16 years younger than Andrew Rumos, who obviously has more potential to grow for it. And I think the Bengals are in a good position where they have that guy already at head coach and they don't have to worry about losing him or, or anything like that. So it, it's, it's a process, but I think there are some, there are some positives to go off of. And like Matt said, you know, this organization is obviously patient and unless it's a, a tumultuous collapse where the Bengals are picking like top three again this year, I think you're going to see Taylor back in 2021. And and that's one of the scary parts for me is that it's hard to gauge because they're not going to end up with just two, three wins. Like they're going to win a, a couple games. I think that they're kind of connected at the hip. Uh, me and Ace started up this thing where, or credit Ace, I, I did a show like last year where I was saying I want hardball, Jim Harbaugh. And a lot of people were killing us because they watch college football a lot. And I was going back to the 49ers days or whatever. 
I, I say that to say this, Ace, do you think that there's any scenario? Because I think, like John was just saying, uh, Lou Anaruma is going to get the benefit of the doubt based off of DJ Reader injuries, the Dunlap saga, uh, uh, Hubbard being out half the year, all these different things that fell apart around him. He didn't have Trey Waynes as starting, you know, quarterback two, you know, to start the year. I think, do you see any scenario where maybe the defense fails us in some some instances and and maybe Zach gets another chance. I for me, I personally think that they're connected at the hip, no matter what. Like if if he's gone, he's gone. Like their the whole crew's gone. Yeah, I think if he's gone, like you said, his whole staff is is out of there. In terms of of Harbaugh, it's really getting even more interesting because there was a report that came out last week that said that he is open to a return to the NFL, and I think. With college football, there's a lot of factors, right? There's recruiting. There's there's all kind of different circumstances that are totally different from the NFL. And so for me, I kind of go based off of the NFL because – and I, I always bring it back to this because think about when Nick Saban was in the NFL as a Dolphins head coach. He was complete garbage. And, like, he's one of the best college football coaches of all time right now. Because, Spurrier, too. Because, yeah, Spurrier as well. Like, the Whoop. Alabama coaching tree – or not the coaching tree, but the recruiting pipeline is just amazing. Everybody just goes there. Um, so, so for me, like, the thing that I liked about Harbaugh is when he took over that 49ers team, team that were kind of in disarray, and he was able to bring – that team and rise them up and take them to the Super Bowl. And I just remember even after that, I think the the biggest issue about Harbaugh and what makes it somewhat unrealistic is that Harbaugh's personality with him getting into it with Jay York those last years with the 49ers, you could see him butting heads with Mike Brown. And so you could see that being a reason why that won't work. But if that weren't a case, I think that he's the perfect guy to bring in here because also when he got fired, if you remember, guys just started retiring. Guys wanted to leave the 49ers because he wasn't there anymore. Pat Willis retired in his prime. There were guys that wanted to like really leave the team because he wasn't there. Um, so for him, I just think it would be perfect for us because this is a guy that used to be Andrew Luck's coach in college at Stanford. You know, he was able to, um, to, to really um, bring up Colin Kaepernick through the ranks as an NFL quarterback. He just had a you, – you still get that offensive genius, and then you also get a guy that's good with situational football and has had a track record of winning. But some of our fans just can't get past the fact that he's been at Michigan, and no one had, can win at Michigan. No one has won at Michigan, and I don't think even after Harbaugh, anyone at Michigan will win after that. Um, so for me, like that's why I would want to bring in Jim Harbaugh, but we have to see how this plays out. I agree with almost everything you said. I don't think he's an offensive genius, but I do say this. Personality-wise, there's a killer instinct to the Harbaugh brothers. And, and that's must-see Jim versus John, that's must-see TV. Him on the sideline, like you talk about coaches that they want to put the camera, like Harbaugh on him, and then the killer instinct of Harbaugh mesh in the belief system that I think, I think Joe Burrow would love him. I, I really do. But as far as his offense, like – I've seen this. I don't watch much college football, but it was a year or two ago they had a they had a quarterback that they were kind of trying to hype up for a Heisman uh, candidate. I forgot this, the guy's name, but the offense was complete trash. Now, I'm not saying that that's all on Harbaugh. I think the biggest thing, like you just said, is that Harbaugh is not a good recruiter because he's so – I feel like he's so brutally honest from the things that I have seen from him. And college football, to me, is all about recruiting. 
I yeah. think that he's he was made for the NFL, and I think he could work. But based off of what I'm seeing the last couple of weeks, it'd be hard for me to come off of looking at Zach Taylor put up 30-something points a week and say, yeah, get him out of here. Like, you know, like I'd be all on board if he continuously did that. That was the one point I was saying earlier in the show is that the consistency wasn't there. Matt, you seem like you were just stewing to say something about any thoughts that you might have had on the hardball thing, or was I reading that wrong? Uh, yeah, I mean, we get lost in, in like, recency with, with hardball, and, and the, I mean, honestly, he's done pretty well at Michigan. He's just not winning the games he needs to win to keep that job. You know, like, overall, it looks pretty good. Um, but obviously, you know, he's, he's not beating Ohio State. Um, if you look at his track record, though, like prior to coming to San Francisco, like all that dude did was win. And he won in some tough situations, too. He won at the University of San Diego, which is a uh, FCS non-scholarship school. And he won it with no scholarships. He won at Stanford, which obviously has an academic standard where it makes it hard to get guys in. You know, it's like he's he's done some things. Uh, he's shown that, that he is a winner. Uh, having said that, I mean, I, I think we're, I think it's going to be Zach. You know, I think Zach's going to get another, another year again, unless man, they don't do anything. If they're, if they're, if they'll win two games or something like that in the, in the back half here and they're losing to the giants and stuff. Uh, but you, you brought up Eric B enemy. All right. And we're talking about hardball, right? Sure. Like, and you don't seem like you're super, super thrilled with Zach. Cause he's got to prove something to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Who, if, if you were GM right now, you're Mike Brown, you're Katie, whoever the hell is calling the shots. Who is the, who is the guy that you're looking at? Like that you think brings what this team needs. Did I put you on the spot? Uh, I, I will say, I have a you have you have never heard me call for anybody's job. Uh and and I it's just my it's just uh my thing. I got I got it's just because I've seen a lot of guys get canned for really stupid reasons. Um I know some very good football coaches and some of the best ones I know are unemployed. Uh, so, um, so, you know, I don't like to comment on those things. Honestly, right now I, I would roll with Zach Taylor cause I do like the tra- trajectory of things. You know, I, I, I do think he's coming along and I think that's what you did. I think you bought the offense. I think you bought a guy that you knew you were going to need to develop. Um, you know, this isn't about Lou Anarumo. But if they could have brought in a defensive coordinator who, you know, a Jack Del Rio, um, he's got some personal issues that I'm not fond of at this point. But, uh, <laughs> you know, if, if, if they could have brought in somebody who had head coaching experience, a Wade Phillips, like one of these guys that, that you could lean on a little bit more for some of that stuff, uh, I think that would have – probably sped up his process. I think things would look a little bit better right now. Um, I mean, Andrew Rimmel is not young, but basically they went young. You know, like like they brought in guys with, with lower, with lesser experience, and, and they're rolling with it. Um, so I, I don't know. Like I, I'm not one to pull out of a strategy that we haven't seen all the way through yet. Uh, I, w- I would roll with it for now. I mean, yeah, at the time, I wanted Bienemy and I wanted Joe Woods, who's now the defensive coordinator uh, in, in uh, Cleveland. Like, 
that was the that was the pairing I wanted in Cincinnati coming out. Um, but we got what we got, so we'll, we'll see it, you know, and, and we'll roll with it right now. Uh, and to kind of hit on what, what what John was saying before, I mean, look, if you like Zach Taylor and you liked his offense and, you you know, you wanted to create that sort of situation, you could have hired him as the offensive coordinator and, and brought in, you know, Ron Rivera or, you know, whoever, like, like an experienced coach. But what's going to happen? You're going to lose him. Like as soon as it starts working, you're going to lose him because somebody else is going to want to buy that offense for you. So they're going to make him your head coach. So you, you kind of skip that step. You, you, you know, like there was that awkward era in Cincinnati where there were a lot of fans that were like, fire Marvin so we can keep Zim. You know, it's it's a little bit different, you know, because Zimmer is a defensive coordinator. But like, like you can't hold on to an offensive coordinator. The only way to hold on to your offensive coordinator is to make him your head coach. So you know, I I think that was the strategy. I think that's that's what they did. And, and like right now, we gotta we gotta ride it out. We gotta see. But I do think there is some. You're seeing personal development there. The things he says, the way he goes about things. Like I like his mindset about things. We just gotta see his hearts to come together. That, that's a great segment for my next question that I was going to ask all of you guys is uh, building off of what we've seen right now this year, going into the second half of the season, what are some key points? And I'll start with you, John. What are some key points? What are some things that you think are a big point of emphasis that you think will carry his team to victories or different things that she'll be looking at? I, I want to see how the offense adapts when Joe Mixon comes back. Because I mean, you, you can clearly see there's a there's a split between when he went out and how the offense has performed since then. And I don't think that's specifically Mixon's fault. It's just kind of the reality for a lot of running backs is when if your starter goes out, then you kind of lean on more of the passing game. You have to and you're forced to get more creative. And as a result, the Bengals are one of the best offenses in the league from like a from a passing standpoint. So I want to see how it continues to evolve when you reintegrate him back into it because in theory it should still be fine because anything that you can do geo you could evidently do with Joe Mixon it's just we 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 need to, we need to see that level with him on the field because they're paying him a lot of money for the next 3 3 and a half years and they, they need to make it work with him geo for how, for how good he is he's not he's not the future you know it's Joe he's like 6 years younger than him so i need i need to see something with that and on defense, I, I I need to see more like more creative ways to rush the passer. You know, it, it's it's hard to do when you have Amani Bledsoe and Xavier Williams playing a lot of these snaps and Marcus Hunt too because they they've they've needed those guys, they need those bodies out there. But you know, it, it's it's been unfortunate because they just haven't rushed, the, they haven't created pressure on the quarterback. And it's for how good the secondary has been, for how good William Jackson, Jesse Bates have been, you know, m- making their names known throughout the ranks of the NFL. It's their jobs have been a lot harder because the pass rush is just not getting home, so they're in coverage for a, a longer time. And unfortunately, there, there have been some big plays that have happened because of that. So those are the two Colt, adjustments: Browns, Eagles, exactly, <laughs> right? And, 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 and we pin that all on Lou and stuff. And you know, it, it, it may not be entirely his fault, but that's the guy that, that is charged with the responsibility of just making it work. And it just hasn't worked in a lot of cases. So those are the two big things for me that I think they need to see. And if the and if if it works, then I think. Those winnable games, like against the Giants and the, and the football team, and and the, and the Texans and the Cowboys, they will actually translate to wins. Because I mean, right now we can't call those guaranteed wins. You know, they still got to play them, and the Bengals still have to prove that they can consistently beat bad teams. But you know, if they continue to do those things, you're going to see some growth in the win column for sure. And I think just just kind of just just jumping into what you were just saying, 
I think one thing that you were kind of alluding to is this. From a pressure standpoint, if Lou can get anything out of tap, like even if this is just an exploratory period, if they could get a consistent pass rush off of him and get what the Falcons couldn't get out of him, I think will be a big testament to Lou. Uh, Ace, I'm going to ask you, um, what's what's some big things that you think uh, that you would like to see them improve on or some things that maybe you're going to have under the microscope in the second half of the season? I think Matt hit it on the head, and that was one thing that I forgot to say about Zach Taylor's shortcomings. Situational football. They have to make better decisions based on those situations, and I, I think that that's what I'd like to see. Um, and I think in all phases, whether it's offensively, defensively, I mean, I, they've just been burnt with that, um, these first stretches of games. Uh, and then I think outside of that, I would probably like to see what they do to fix this running offense. Like, they are not doing well when it comes to running the ball at all. And I think that it was actually a good thing that Geo got in there and the offense was able to move smoother. But they still haven't really had a game outside of the only one that I can really think of where they really married the run with the pass was the Colts game. And then that was when Joe Mixon got hurt and then he went out of the game. We we have yet to see like a completely balanced um, game from that aspect. So I would say probably the run game establishing that, especially being in the AFC North. Uh, and then outside of that, it's really just consistency, just being consistent and and putting teams away and and locking these these games down because we've seen in the Browns game and the Colts game and luckily we saw in the Titans game that was a similar situation where they were able to get out there with the W but definitely got to see that consistency when it comes to putting teams away. Right, this is no way to disagree with that. Um, I guess we're getting close to the end of this. I think from a a player standpoint, I was going to probably talk about maybe some moves that I would think just maybe looking really far ahead. For me, I always preach to people about uh, we need a lot more impact players. I love the impact players that they went and got. I think different things like them signing Quentin Spain, uh, even even just the waiver claim for Tat, I feel like they're getting guys that are maybe really good. Like I used to really hate on Bud Dupree a lot because he only did one thing really, really well. But if they can get a bunch of guys that do – one thing really, really well, I think they could kind of stack up those type of players and into the offseason. And even in the draft, I, I like some of the guys that they got, like uh, Akeem Davis Gaither. We've seen the different flashes of him where he's covering he's, and, he's, and he's carrying the tight end down the sideline. We've seen Logan Wilson go sideline to sideline a bunch of different times. We've seen that he's uh, he's got great instincts when it's, when it's time to make a sack. There's different things that I think we can kind of build off of but I think if you were going into the offseason and there were some things that you just think that will make us a number one contender, because right now the message that I've been sending to everybody is for the next four years, the Bengals are going to be pretty aggressive because they have institutional pressure on them from Joe Burrow. They're going to have, like, if a guy like Stephon Tewitt is out there, they're going to have room to go get guys like that. I do believe in this four-year window because they understand how stupid they'll look if they don't get it and this guy walks away from our franchise. So with that said, starting with Matt, then we could go John and Ace to close out the show. What are some things or positions that you think that we need to attack uh, going into the offseason, just looking far ahead or just looking at 
The, the, the closing of this season. I don't – all of that. I, You know, I, I tweeted weeks ago that I, – I said something along the lines of this defense is a lot closer than people think. And I take a lot of heat from that, as you can imagine. <laughs> but here's the thing. No, like, sure. They got like, the pieces. Like, they, they do have some pieces. Now, problem is – Probably the second and third best player on the defense right now are free agents. Um, and and John is not to call you pessimistic as we've been doing all night, but uh, you know, John is not confident that this team is going to uh, bring back Carl Lawson. Uh, and then you got Jackson too. So look, if you're really committed, you bring back Lawson, you bring back Jackson. All right. Trey Waynes. If Trey Waynes, pans out, you're pretty good in the secondary. You know, there's some sh- shakiness and strong safety and coverage a little bit, but you're pretty good in the secondary. Carl Lawson, with Carl Lawson back even, like you're still a guy short in the pass rush. You need really – you're really two pass rushers short, to be honest with you. Um, so, like, they need to go out and they need to find one inside guy and one outside guy. You know, hopefully Geo's contributing more inside next year, but you still obviously need uh, a young guy to to eventually take over for him. So, like maybe it's a first round pick on a on a edge guy because I think that that could be a good spot for them to take a, an, an edge player, and then maybe it's a, a mid round pick on a on an interior guy who can get after the passer, but who we have to teach some other stuff to. Um, I think it, you do that you're going to be pretty good on defense. You know, I, I think you, you got to figure out – Von Bell's looking a little better in coverage. Like, you just got to be smart and keep him out of certain situations. Um, you know, that would be a great place to, to find a dude. But I think you're – I think you should be a pretty good defense if you're healthy uh, at that point with, with, with those guys in there. So, I think that's the big spot that, that you hit. And then you got to figure out the offensive line. Um, so, between the, the – really, it's the defensive line, it's the offensive line. And between the two, right now, you've got a lot of guys to choose from in there. Um, I mean, you look at that old line that against a not very good Titans pass rush played pretty well. You got all those guys, plus you got you got uh, Kenny you just brought in, and you got the guys that were actually starting. So between that, you know, 11 guys there, um, I mean, can we find three or four that can really play? <laughs> You know, we got one for sure. We got, we got, we probably got two with Trey. All right. But like figuring out the rest of it. And then where do you need to adjust that position and find another other guy? So that's where it's a big tryout this year is figuring that stuff out. And on the defensive side of the ball, too, because like you've got a number of guys that you've brought in, you know, who's worth keeping around? Uh, like you talk about, uh, you know, Bud Dupree and doing things really well. They've got a lot of guys who are pretty good at stopping the run and not anything else, you know, so who's worth keeping there? You know, Xavier Williams did some good things. Covington's done some good things. I, I, I don't know how much, you know, it's worth a roster spot when you get uh, Tupo back in there. I think Daniels does some really nice things. I think he's a guy you want to keep around uh, for, for various reasons. But, you know, trying those guys out, figuring out what you got with those guys, and then adding to that and supplementing that really on both the offense and defensive lines, I think it's what you need to do. Here, a lot of people talking about like first round receiver. I think they're pretty good at receiver. Um, it would be nice to have a speed guy. 
but you know but, but as we know we can go get that in the fourth. yeah right i mean you know look you know look, look around the league like you, you can find some guys to, to supplement that and to do that and um yeah maybe you find a guy a little bit later and, and he's a guy that can return kicks too and, and you're letting alex walk uh you know because you got a new new faster guy i think re- return some punts um so yeah, I mean that, that, that's how I look at it. I think it's all O line and D line. It, it's evaluating what you've got and then making some moves and probably bringing in two new guys that, uh, on both sides of the ball there. Okay, and John, you got anything that you any any target areas that you're looking at to improve this team, Mister GM? Like I've been at CJ for since 2016, and that was the last year of Kevin Slidler and Andrew Whitworth. And ever since then, it's been hoping and praying on the offensive line. Every single year, it's like, you know, the, this unit's more improved. We brought in some guys that we think have some upside. And it's all about it. if everyone hits their potential and they stay healthy, they can be decent. And it's it's never been that. That's never been the case. They, they need to enter the offseason with an actual plan of how to actually upgrade the offensive line. Because, I mean, you're right. Like, they have Burrow now. They have him for a guaranteed four more years. The last thing that they can do is, is watch him get hit know 10 times a game if every single week if they don't solidify some of these spots they have to actually go out there and get some competent guys i don't know if they do that in free agency or if they attack it in the draft whatever the case may be they have to be uberly confident and and quality starters five of them going into 2021 that is the number one goal i, I think with, with how they attacked the defense and free agency last year they might just Put put most of those funds this year into the offensive line and hope that guys like Reader and Waynes bounce back and have healthy twenty twenty ones and kind of you know have a good return on investment with them. And also, I think you're you're looking at most of the in house money being spent on the defense side of the ball with an extension for Bates, potentially either William Jackson or Carl Austin getting um, a new contract before they enter free agency. And you can't get both. I, they could, but I, I I would like to see it first. Because obviously, with, with I think because the, the reason why I'm pessimistic, pessimistic about uh, the reason why I'm pessimistic about Carl Lawson is because I, I have a feeling they're going to extend Sam Hubbard. They're already going to put a lot of money in that position, and with the edge, like that market just inflates. It's more inflated than the cornerback market still. Like the top ten guys in that position are making like north of seventeen million. Lawson might not enter that market, but he's going to get paid a lot. And I think they just look at him as a guy that. At, at this point, it's just a, a guy that's just not that much of a finisher and a guy that has continued to have health issues. Who knows if they want to reinvest in that for four more years? They, they might just want to have him test the market. And the same can be said for William Jackson. So we don't we don't know for sure about those guys. But I think you're going to see multiple, at least two or three you know, contracts on the defense side of the ball for in-house money. But in terms of getting from the outside... I think they just have to shore up the offense line. They have to be confident in that going into 2021. Once you figure that out, a lot of the other things will fall into place. Yeah, that's the good thing about Tack, too, because like, if you let – if there's no Tack McKinley and you let uh, Carl Lawson go, you need two guys. Right. Like, I, I don't think Hubbard and uh, Kareem Khalid are, are, no. are getting it done for you. Like, you need two guys there. So – not in the north. Maybe you know. Maybe John's onto something, and maybe that's like maybe Tack is a chance to get a guy that you can get more out of than some of those other guys, and you'll be able to re-sign him cheaper, and you're going to be able to re-sign Carl Lawson anyway. So maybe that helps you hedge that bet, and you still need to go out and get a guy. But maybe maybe Tack could have a good eight weeks and be one guy for you next year anyway. So you don't have to really kill at that position, you know. 
With all, right. like, I, like like John said, you're gonna I mean you're gonna have to spend so much money on one guy. You don't want to spend that on two. <laughs> right. I, I listened to you uh, like especially early in the show. We're talking about all these pass rushes from the Steelers, mm. and it's just. I mean, and you see Ravens, they go out and go get in Dockway. So, you know, there's so many different facets of this team that I just think need to improve. Uh, but you guys are really spot on with the pass rushing part of it. I think single-handedly they lost the Browns game, the Colts game, and arguably the fourth quarter of the Eagles game when, you know, like the, the lack there of pass rushing that game. I think those are three games that I, I pinpoint and I just say if they had any bit of pass rush – they would have won those games. Ace, close us out. Tell us what we need to do to get this team. Like, I'm honestly right going to say more of the same, man. It's the offensive line. Like, a lot of people are going to get stuck back in what happened in 2017. And I kind of saw that coming, like, with what John was saying. When they decided not to keep Whitworth and they decided not to keep Zeitler, and they really threw out Cedric Obwehi like as the future at left tackle and Jake Fisher, even though we all knew that they were complete garbage, I knew that that was going to be an issue. Like when that was the whole reason me personally, that I was against picking John Ross in 2017, not because John Ross isn't a good player, but because this offensive line could not block well enough for you to even get the ball to John Ross. And I remember fighting people on that. And it was like exhausting at the point where I think I was trying to vouch for like Ryan Ramchick or Cam Robinson because I was like, this offensive line is going to be garbage. It's not going to matter. And here we are still in 2020, still talking about the offensive line after years of them trying to do things, trading for players. And it's just obvious you got to fix the offensive line. Like Matt said, the game is one in the trenches. You've got Joe Burrow. You have to protect him. A lot of people are going to talk about Jamar Chase, and yes, that's going to look sexy. We don't need a wide receiver. We need an offensive line. We have to make sure that we keep Joe Burrow upright. The only other position to me that you could justify outside of offensive line would be a tight end. Tight end, tight end is the only thing. Like If you're going to get him a weapon, get him a tight end because the tight end position to me has completely died since C.J. Uzoma went down. And with him having an Achilles tear, you know, maybe that's something that you can do in the offseason with free agency or something like that. I personally was a fan of them trying to take a flyer on Evan Ingram before the trade deadline. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I think that that is the only thing outside of offensive line that I would really look at. Obviously, edge rusher, if Carl Lawson is to walk or corner, you're really going to hurt there. But I think at the top of this period, offensive line. Get him as many offensive linemen as you can, whether that's through free agency, whether that's through the draft. Do what you can. Do what the Cleveland Browns kind of did for Baker this offseason with not only signing a guy in free agency, but also taking a guy in the draft as well. I think the Bengals need to do that and just build around that because at the end of the day, you said it's him. Your offense is your defense. Joe Burrow is going to be the reason that you win these games, and Joe Burrow is going to be the guy that's going to have to score in these games to beat a Pat Mahomes, to beat a Lamar Jackson, to beat a Ben Roethlisberger. So I think that's what you need, offensive lineman. For sure, man. There's there's a lot of people I just want to shout out, Steve Mars, uh, Luke Torres. There's a bunch of people in the comments that have been saying some really cool stuff too. So I appreciate everybody coming into to this dream team thing that we're doing. Anthony Kazenza had to go on Enemy Lines and interview Ike Taylor. Make sure that you all follow him. Make sure you follow John Sheeran with the OBI uh, podcast as well. Matt Minnick, Chalk Talk. 
Ace and me do New Stripe City, or what he does, New Stripe City by itself. But we do Orange is the New Black podcast here. But um, I think we had some really cool stuff, some really good talking points. I'm glad we did this. If you guys didn't know, this was part two of the series that we were just trying to do, where we kind of combined forces from last week. And I think leaving out of it, I, I find myself agreeing with so much of what you guys have said that I really wanted to take this time, this hour and a half now that we're almost about to hit and just listen and kind of get some more perspective. Cause so many different times I listen to myself tell uh, people asking me questions all day, all day, every day. And I have my own different things that I like to do, but I feel like I could take a bit and piece out of every single thing that you guys have said. So I'm very, very appreciative of that. Please for one more time before we leave, Make sure you let everybody know, uh, starting with Ace, where they can find you at, John, then Matt. And then after that, we're going to say who they and see you guys on Sunday. Yo, at New Stripe City on Twitter and Instagram, trying to build up those two. Uh, You can also find me at New Stripe City on YouTube. You can also find me on YouTube under AFC North Talk. It's a roundtable of uh, AFC North YouTube guys. It's, It's a very good time. And then obviously on the Cincy Jungle podcast with my man Zim Hude on the Orange is the New Black podcast. Mike D, San Antonio, nice. Yeah. Oh, I guess I'm yeah. up. Yeah, you go. You go. <laughs> what did Mike D say? Hold on. What did he – what happened? Oh, 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 okay, okay. My I, bad, man. I, I just like seeing the San Antonio. Uh, okay. Hey, I'm uh, <laughs> Coach Minnick on Twitter. Uh, Coach with an H, Minnick with an H. M-I-N-I-C-H. Minnick. John Nick. underscore underscore Sheeran on Twitter, cincyjungle.com. Why two underscores? Are you trying to hide? Just no, because be hard to find. He doesn't, John, he, he doesn't want anybody <laughs> to see him. John, John one underscore Sheeran is like this account in Ireland with like three followers. And Let's he's buy followed, him out. I, I, I've, been, I've, I've reported him like three times, honestly. I reported <laughs> yeah, him and well, I tried to get him banned. We're going to put some pressure on him. <laughs> I'm, I'm dead ass. <laughs> We're gonna put some pressure on his ass, like, but no, like, and if you've never seen me, guys, this uh, that's Sheeran's cousin. Yep, it probably is. Like, <laughs> like outside of here, like I'm telling you, John doesn't really even want to be seen. If you really, really pay attention <laughs> to his tweets, he's really just having a conversation with himself. And then people I, just and people I just have chime in with myself all the time. It's like sometimes <laughs> it just happens to be on Twitter. Do you ever say? Do you ever say anything with the hopes that you want a response? Uh, rarely, I guess. I don't yeah. think I've ever seen you talk like you want a response. I think you're just talking to yourself, and then people chime in, and then you're like, "Hey, back up! I'm just talking to myself." Yeah, then, then they get mad. Like, <laughs> r- r- relax. I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Some, <laughs> some people experience. like. So for me, I, I like to talk a little loud sometimes. Tonight, I'm a little quiet because I'm getting ready. I'm saving myself and I'm preserving myself for four o'clock on Sunday. I hope you all have a great time. Make sure you all get around people that you love the most. I tell everyone that they say, how do you do this every Sunday? Get around people that you love before the game, after the game, so that if you do lose, it doesn't feel as bad. Uh, I talked to, uh, what's our guy, uh, Ace? He said his birthday is on Sunday. Damn, I wanted to tell him, shout out. But anyway, I told him that same advice. Make sure you guys don't put all of your emotions into the game like I do and be a crazy, insane person that's pissed for the rest of the day, even though I knew coming into the game that we were totally outmatched. But there is some hope. And if you've listened to this panel tonight, we've told you the keys to success. I hope that you guys have a great second half of the season. 
Make sure you follow every single one of these guys and Anthony Kazenza, who is on enemy lines right now, uh, interviewing Ike Taylor. That's it for me tonight. Who day? Who day?